0: The Old Testament is a hurdle for many modern readers of the Bible, not least of all Christians.
1: Violent accounts are woven through the Hebrew scriptures and seem to upset the image of Judaism and Christianity as religions of peace
0: and the image of God as a loving deity.
1: This has led some to conclude that the God of the Old Testament is different from the one found in the New Testament.
0: Others have doubled down on the greater importance of the New Testament, furthering the divide between the two parts of Christian scripture.
1: While many people's objections come from a place of antagonism toward the Bible, Judaism, and Christianity, many others raise objections and concerns that are fair and reasonable.
0: The Bible does not avoid such seeming contradictions. Rather, it seems to welcome the discussion.
1: Why do these biblical accounts so disturb our modern sensibilities?
0: What do these texts say about our faith?
1: More importantly, what do they say about our God?
0: Should these texts be sugar-coated, nuanced, or avoided altogether? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the Beat. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture.
1: We're a forum for the discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues.
0: We're your hosts. I'm Records Alameda.
1: I'm Lucas Manning. Ooh, great to be here. Okay.
0: Season 3, episode 4. Oh, yes.
1: Interesting topic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, probably one that a lot of people don't like to to talk about uh, yeah definitely just cuz it uh, it's very touchy um totally and it i think maybe upsets the paradigm a little bit of sure of scripture christianity yeah how um, people and Judaism view their faith yeah. yeah
1: yeah well yeah i know definitely growing up like there seemed like there were two different ways that people kind of engaged with violence in the Bible or like in the Old Testament specifically. One was like, I don't know. It was an attitude of like, yeah, like wrathful punishment. Like that is like an aspect of God, you know what I mean? And he is Mm -hmm. like, which I think there's something to that. But I don't know. The way that was presented, it was just like, like it just seemed like angry God punishing people. And that's like mm-hmm. the God that some people wanted to worship. So I was like, this is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But then the other option was like, Oh, like, which was probably the more, the option I saw more often was like, Oh, we're like, we just don't touch that kind of a thing. And it's like, uh, we don't really know what to do with it. And it's like weird that in the new Testament, you know, God is like dying for us. But then you go in the old Testament, and he's like telling his people to, slaughter cities kill women and children so it's just like "Eh, i don't know what to do with that so let's just not go there
0: well i mean that i think that historically yeah people have really found that troubling right so much so that for example one of the church fathers marcion kind of came to the conclusion that these must be two different gods the, the one that we see in the described in the new testament scriptures and then the one we see in the hebrew scriptures of the old testament sure. it can't be one and the same if like you were saying you know one is sacrificing himself on our behalf to right. save us while other the other you know the other quote-unquote god is complete you know, commanding the complete destruction of whole cities
1: right yeah yeah it seems quite the dichotomy which i yeah i mean i i get it and clearly it's that's when you know that it's not just like, you know, our culture who's uncomfortable with it, mm-hmm. but it's, you know what I mean? Cause it's been, he was in the second century, something like that, I think mm-hmm. Marcion. So it's yeah. obviously it's an old, it's an old, uh, you know, dissonance. Mm-hmm. It's an old, you know, kind of contradiction as we said in the intro.
0: Yeah. but Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we can start off with um like what, what uh, are like the problematic passages that come to mind for you when you, think about that you kind of mentioned some of it already
1: yeah i think i guess the main one that i think is problematic or that is often quoted as problematic is like the conquest of Mm -hmm. obviously like the promised land and it's like i think people point it point it out as problematic for good reason i mean for instance you could i mean there's tons of instances in history where the church like misplaced its identity as the Israelites and then wherever they were conquering was now Canaan. And these are the right. Canaanites, you know? So right. like obviously the crusades and then, I mean, you could even say, you know, the his- early history of America, like the United States. Um, so, yeah, that's where it's, I feel like the objection is definitely fair. Mm-hmm. Um, be Just because of the havoc that it's wreaked sometimes. Yeah. In history.
0: Yeah. I also think about the um, the accounts in the Book of Judges too. Sure. Right. So you've got this the basically the splitting up of the concubine into twelve pieces and the spreading yes. out of those pieces to <laughs> the territories of Israel right. or the tribes of Israel. It's like, right. what is happening? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Literally. Well, that whole story is crazy. I was actually reading that before this because that was like. When I think of violence in the Old Testament, for whatever reason, that's the first thing that pops into Mm -hmm. my head. There's tons of violence in the Old Testament, but I think it's just so vivid. Because that whole thing, uh, because the Levite is, I think, if I remember right, he's like um, being hosted by someone. And then it's kind of like the instance of the angels with Lot where the men of the city are like, hey, Mm -hmm. come out here because we're going to essentially rape you. yeah, And then they offer like the concubine instead which Mm -hmm. is just messed up (laughs) yeah yeah
0: yeah there's some there's definitely some yeah intertextual allusions there to to the genesis account sure and and though i I think that at least the way i see it right these problematic passages these instances of violence in the old testament um, are maybe can be divided up or arranged into different groups so like that one is violent because it's a it's troubling because it's a violent account. Sure. Um, Right. And so, but even the, the writer of Judges makes it clear that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Right. Like the refrain that you see in Judges is everything, everyone did what was right in their own eyes or later on in the second half of the book, um, the, the refrain is in those days, there was no King uh, in Israel. Right. So it's setting, setting the reader up for, the glorious monarchy that came about under King David, sure. and the and the rule and the the faithfulness to the law that came under um, that monarchy.
1: Right. So it, yeah.
0: So it 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 uh, yeah it leans into that dissonance, right? And it right. harkens back to the previous like Genesis account to make you think, okay, this has happened before. For sure. You know that sort of thing.
1: Well, that's where yeah, I would like classify it as like unjustified human violence mm-hmm. like it's like that's yeah. what's happening and we see some of that in the new testament like you could say the stoning of stephen right or like you know the beatings that paul gets these are accounts that the bible isn't like it's just reporting them yeah, uh, yeah. obviously it, making a point as it does it but it's not mm-hmm. obviously condoning what's happening
0: yeah it's the um it's the balance right in terms of biblical hermeneutics and interpretation of proscription and description or prescription right. and description, rather. Yes. Um right. or I guess proscription as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah you know. Uh but yeah, it's it just because of the Bible the you know, the Bible describes an event as happening does not mean it necessarily gives right. its stamp of approval. Right. Um, right. But there's It's
1: like multiple wives at the patriarchs, not necessarily saying that's the way to go. But that's right. just how how it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or but even that, right, some people are troubled that like why didn't God uh Speak sure. into those, you know, contextual, historical sure. situations. Sure. Which is another another episode.
1: <laughs> I know. Maybe that is another episode. I <laughs> want to talk about that. Yeah. Right. All that to say, there's, there's just tons of instances in the Bible where it's a violent account. It is troubling, mm-hmm. but it's also not necessarily problematic because the, uh, you know, God or the author isn't like condoning it or mm-hmm.
0: you know commanding that it happens so
1: that's the easiest violence I would say to deal with in the Bible <laughs> yeah
0: it's not yeah, yeah it's not uh, it's not pretty but you can right. at least give I think maybe right. an answer a reasonable um, answer um, sure for it sure
1: yeah and then I guess yeah there's this other so I I kind of broke it up into four sort of categories. one is like what we just talked about unjustified human violence. Uh, another one is like human violence, which God then uses for His purposes. So once again, it's it's unjustified. So I think of like Joseph uh, and what his brothers did to him, uh, even like like the exile. So like Assyria and Babylon conquering Israel. Um, it's not like God um, propositioned those empires to do that. It's just mm-hmm. that it fit within His like, just within the narrative of israel you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. uh in the sense that they were unfaithful and not holding up their end of the covenant and so then kind of these other once again it's it's not that and here's the thing i guess i guess we can get into it i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit but like none of this is very clean you know what i mean so when it's like fulfilling his purposes it's like Joseph did just suffer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that right that Joseph suffered so that, say, when that famine comes around, you know, Egypt is prepared and mm-hmm. a lot of people are saved? It's it's kind of a weird, you know what I'm saying? It's a hard, yeah. like, thing to wrestle with. Yeah. But that's where the the perspective of the biblical author, at least how I see it, is it's a narrative that's happening, like, in real time. So it's not, mm-hmm. like, we think of God as this, which not saying we shouldn't think of it as this, but like omnipresent, you know, knows the future, kind of this like disembodied outside of the story, just kind of pulling the strings. Whereas the biblical authors see him more as a character within the story who's, you know, with kind of within time and space, um, interacting with with the biblical characters and, and, yeah, the narrative. So Mm -hmm. that's where I think that hurts or we have an issue with that only because the way we like uh understand metaphysics you know what i mean or like mm-hmm. un- how we how we conceptualize god you know
0: yeah no i think that's good it's um i mean if the new testament letters are difficult enough for us to uh to interpret because we're trying to get into the mind of these first century you know christians these first century philosophers that paul was interacting with that sort of thing how much more difficult is it for us to you know, get into the minds of the biblical authors for sure. thousands and thousands of years, <laughs> right. even prior to that. Right. Um, and yeah, it's it's. Right. I think um, yeah, in terms of how we approach the text, we don't do enough work on the front end in terms of what presuppositions we're coming to it with, um, and then we import we import all of those as we're trying to make sense of these instances of. Of violence, whether it's described or prescribed,
1: right, right, yeah, definitely, yeah. So that that's kind of two of the four um, unjustified human violence, like we said in like judges, and um, just there's a lot of that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, then human violence that God kind of uses uh, for His own purpose, which is interesting. Then I think there's like two more, which are more like God is the agent of one is like divine destruction. So like Mm -hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah, like the 10 plagues. I mean, you could even say Jonah, even though I guess he didn't in the end, he didn't do it, which is great, but he was, I guess, planning to. Um, so it's like this divine, you know, destruction idea. Uh, and then related to that is like human violence on God's behalf. That's like literally instructed. Mm -hmm. Um, so, not just like the 10 plagues is obviously like a miraculous account, but when he actually uses humans for the, you know, for the actual violence and destruction, which I think is the conquest is the obviously most clear example mm-hmm. of that. And yeah, I, I think it does. It does get murky there. Um, one important thing I would say is that we need to remember that we're not the Israelites. I
0: mean, any any text, right, is going to be, or any story is going to be told from a certain point of view, right. I think we can both agree that the Bible is not a an objective historical textbook. Sure. Right, and so its point is its its objective is theological. Right. So for a people, you know, displaced by the exile and making sense of their cultural, of their national identity, these stories are crafted and written and recorded and finally edited in such a way as to to give them that sense of national cohesion uh, right and so sure. we sh- so that's that's at least when i'm reading these texts i'm always thinking with that in mind right uh, yeah
1: and they'll employ different strategies cuz that's where a lot of these like accounts of and the israelites destroyed everything and there was nothing left and you know mm-hmm. they they massacred everyone that's like typical ancient near eastern language for like we won it's victory but it's yeah. kind of Not saying, uh, and this is just, this is just like hermeneutics, but it's not, it's exaggerating. It's not trying to like lie or anything, but that was just the convention of the day to say our victory was total. Like we, Mm -hmm. we massacred everyone, you know what I mean? So that's where it's like exaggerate. It can be exaggeratory. Um, So we don't have to, I guess it's just, that helps, I guess, dull it a little bit. Is that we don't have to be so dogmatic about every child and every woman in every village was like (laughs) totally destroyed. You know what I'm saying?
0: I think you get at two important things there. First is the historical evidence in terms of just comparative literature, right? So you bring up a a good point. Like this was the way that things are described in, let's just take the conquest of the promised land in Joshua, Um, right? So that was not surprising to an ancient Near East audience the way things were described, sure. um, not only in terms of the, the kind of destruction that was present in the text and the narrative, but also how, um, you know, what kind of literary methods were employed. So again, that hyperbole is present across not only, um, you know, ancient Israelite texts like in Joshua, but other texts from the ancient Near East. I'm thinking specifically about uh, the Merneptah Stele that was found in Thebes. That dates sure. back to around twelve hundred B. Uh, B.C.E. Um, and this is the first extra-biblical um, evidence of a people group n- called Israel um, sure. out yeah extra-biblical outside, outside of, of the biblical right. text itself. Um, and so the uh, Merneptah uh, was a pharaoh, and he conquered a bunch of At this point Egypt was still exerting a lot of power over the land of what would uh, the land of Canaan uh, where Israel uh, would come to be sure and so um, it names city a couple of cities and basically it's describing their destruction in various ways and then you get to uh, the line of Israel and it's that's interesting because it doesn't use um, it doesn't designate Israel as a city Uh, but instead as a people group. So it Mm. gives you the idea that it was perhaps a nomadic. They hadn't urbanized yet or settled down. But the line is Israel is wasted. His seed is not. Mm. Another way of saying it was completely destroyed. Right. All right. But that's the earliest evidence we see (laughs) of Israel. And that's clearly, uh, you know, much more literature (laughs) came out of that people group of Israel, you know, later on. So, again that hyperbole was present even before the biblical text sure. was written so it's not surprising then right so sure. i think one way to approach these texts is when you when you see such accounts of outright destruction and massacre it doesn't necessarily be, need to be interpreted uh, interpreted as a 100% um Literally. Right. That might be troubling to some, right? But again, sure. it's it's a lot of it can be hyperbolic. Right. Um, it's so there there's... to make a
1: point, but the right. point isn't necessarily that the people are totally, you know, extinguished.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is just the semantic range of the words that are used. Sure. And um, by semantic range, I mean just how, ha- like, the different nuances of the definition of a word how it's used so the definition of a word comes not from the word itself it's not inherent in the word itself but by the way it's used in a particular context so let's just as a modern example take the word literally right you know two generations ago the word literally and i know you and i luke have had multiple (laughs) conversations about this because i'm a i'm kind of a stickler So literally could, like, in one sense, very well mean literally, like.
1: In reality.
0: In reality. Like, there's no hyperbole. There's no uh, imagery, metaphor. It's like, this is how it happened. This is reality. But then uh, the youths nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) they They say literally and use it to mean virtually. Like, man, that test literally killed me. (laughs) It's like, did it though? It didn't actually kill you. (laughs) So that's just one example, right? Uh, So literally has now that very wide, I think, semantic range in its modern usage. Right. Uh, And you find that same phenomenon with biblical words, Mm. right? So I think specifically a lot of um, one word that's often translated as destroy or destroyed is the word cherem, and. That can mean, you know, physical destruction, bodily destruction, but can sure. also mean to put something or someone under a band to isolate them, to, sure. to, to separate them from yourself in a, in a very distinct um, and um, uh, in a very distinct way in terms of punishment as well. So sure. so there you've I mean, so a lot of it is contextual and sometimes it makes sense that it's actual physical Destruction in a sure. particular context, but sometimes it can go either way.
1: Sure, um, sure. And
0: so the, the yeah, so that that's something to keep in mind. And right. various Bible translations have their own methodologies in terms of yeah. how they render it in English. And so there you go. That's that's just a plug for learning the biblical <laughs> language. Yes, yes. Because yeah. there's a lot more nuance. Is I guess my sure. point, especially when it comes to these texts. For um, sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, I guess this is the one of the things with the whole issue with violence in the Bible is I've found in my talking with various people in various different situations about violence in the Old Testament is it seems like, like a lot of us or yeah, certain Christians who are from just like more affluent backgrounds or, you know, just feeling pretty good about their lives, like they don't, it's hard for them to understand the violence of the Bible in the Old Testament but then for a lot of people who are in less fortunate and like less affluent situations where they've like seen kind of the horrors even the horrors that like affluent society can have on you know less well-off people like they don't understand the grace of the Bible because it's like mm-hmm. well of course the violence makes sense because look at all these people doing horrible things like we need justice like now like this is mm-hmm. what we need Um, so how can you possibly have grace for these people who are just trampling on other people, um, and yeah, committing ridiculous acts of, like we said earlier, unjustified human violence. So, you know, how, how can grace like that's, that's more scandalous than the violence in the old Testament for, for some people. Um, whereas I think Mm. for others who, you know, don't necessarily see injustice committed against them very often, um, I think it's it's harder to understand why why violence you know exists or why God even uh, condones violence uh, mm-hmm. in in certain forms in the biblical text, and that's where this and this is like the tough part um, because it's never clean, but like God does act in like retributionary. You know, violence in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. like he really does. That's yeah. <laughs> like a would thing you that, say, that happens. Would you
0: say? Yeah. Would you say then God is a violent God? I guess because we get, we say God is a gracious yeah. God. God is a loving God, merciful. Sure. God. But is well, He a th- violent God?
1: So I think what we have to do is look at um, kind of the the closest thing to kind of a Hebrew mantra or creed that that they have about Yahweh, which mm. is. Um, man you might have to help me with the exact verse but it's first in exodus but it keeps going it's in jonah deuteronomy mm-hmm. basically it's Exodus our god 34 in... yes there you go 34 6 maybe yeah just uh,
0: after but... the uh the golden calf literally incident
1: um i might just pull it up so i can just straight up read it because that will go better than me trying to <laughs> just botch yeah, the this, order of everything it, yeah
0: it's fascinating because it's the first self-description of god yes in hebrew scripture and it's repeated like you said multiple times as if hey remember this is this is the kind of god we worship
1: uh here it is the lord the lord god compassionate and merciful slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth who keeps faithfulness for thousands who forgives wrongdoing violation of his law and sin and then yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished inflicting the punishment of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. It's, so this is why. <laughs> because obviously mm-hmm. there's literally violence present in that mm-hmm. mantra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, or at least, you know, punishment that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and not just on the person, but down the generational line, which mm-hmm. seems a, a bit extreme. Uh, but I think like the the whole point of this is that God first wants to be compassionate merciful slow to anger abounding in faithfulness and truth that's what like he first is so when we say like is god a violent god i would say no does he condone certain violent acts the odd thing i mean he does in the old testament you know what i'm saying yeah. and this is this is the thing uh, i think jonah is a big help for me with this whole thing uh Jonah, the the narrative, I'm not sure what everybody has heard about the narrative. But basically, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows that God is slow to anger, compassionate, and merciful. Mm -hmm. So if the Ninevites, who are people, for whatever reason, he doesn't want them to be spared, whether that's ethnically or racially motivated, or he just thinks that they're wrongdoers who should be punished. Which, not clear in the
0: text. Yeah, it's not clear not in the text. Not explicit in the text. Yeah. And to be
1: fair, I think pretty much all of us want wrongdoers to be punished. That's mm-hmm. a thing that we actually long for. So I think Jonah gets a bad rap, but he is all of us, uh, and especially us who are, are very much so concerned about justice and, and that kind of a thing. And so he said, you know, I didn't go because I knew if I, if I talked to them about you that they would do the bare minimum to get by – of repentance and that you would actually spare them. Like you're slow to anger and you actually, you wouldn't do what I would hope that you would do, which is punish these horrible people who commit horrible war crimes. And yeah, anyway, and I just don't like them. So that's where the question of like, is God a violent God? He does commit acts of violence. At least in my understanding of the old Testament and the Bible as a whole, those acts of violence are only ever like justice, based in the realm of justice, rather than uh, that God takes any pleasure or anything like that. There's always mm-hmm. a victim of the which God is uh, essentially, yeah, getting retribution for. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it is messy. It's it's not to say that it's not messy. For instance, the exile, which is obviously God's, you know, judgment on Israel uh, for one being unfaithful and then two, which is related is um, not taking care of the poor and the vulnerable and actually, you know, oppressing and exploiting them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, there's justice for those people, but it's also messy in the sense that those people suffer too. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's the tough thing about like judgment in history. Yeah. Like a lot of times the question is like, Oh, is this God's judgment on this nation? And it's like, I mean, I mean, you just can't say we're not, you you literally can't say Um, like that's the end of the day. We're, we're humans watching human history. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, and there's definitely some tension there. That's the thing. I I haven't ever fully relieved the tension, Uh, but I guess to me, it's, it's easier to, to kind of sit with it when I know that these acts of violence are committed because of, you know, oppressive, violent behaviors on behalf of humans towards other humans. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess that's that's how <laughs> I can, can, you know, I guess sit in the tension a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, just going back to that Exodus 34, um, verse six and seven passage. I think it's fascinating because you have the the gracious and merciful, slow to anger image of God on one hand. And then in the other half, that retributive, just, um, almost frightfully just image of God right. in the sure. second half. But that's all in the same self-description. Like God doesn't say, I'm sometimes this, I'm sometimes that. It's like, no, right. th- this is who I am. It's Better. both and, not either right. or. Right? But, but the, the, the fascinating thing to me is the generations which experience those two aspects of God's um, God's character, right? So the um, in in verse seven, the the end of verse seven, he t- he says that he visits the iniquity, the the punishment, the consequences of the sins of of people um, uh, upon their children to the third and fourth generation. But if you look back to verse six, which I think you were right in saying, like this is first and foremost who I am, right? right. Um, and this should contextualize every you know. Uh, maybe contextualize everything else uh, following from this Um, he says that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping that steadfast love for the thousandth generation Mm. that that number difference right the third and fourth generation where that experience the the punishment and the consequences of the sin versus the thousandth generation that experiences his overwhelming love and sure. faithfulness. I think that's something to to highlight in that self description sure. as well.
1: Well, and yeah, whenever this so this little mantra here is cited multiple times, I'm not sure exactly how many
0: in bits and pieces. In bits and pieces, uh, yeah. yeah. But usually, the bits and
1: pieces come from uh, like that first section about. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, in Jonah, he throws he throws that first part back in God's face. He's yeah. like, you know, he's like mocking him. Yeah. or or upset with him because... As his, if this was his, a weakness in his character. Right, because of the primary identity that God is is compassionate mm-hmm. and merciful. Um, so, yeah. Once again, I just think it's important we remember we're reading an ancient piece of literature. Um, mm-hmm. So the way, you know, the things that they're uncomfortable with we're not necessarily going to be uncomfortable with. Yeah. Uh, but the primary way that it describes God in the Old Testament is... Like compassionate and merciful and mm-hmm. slow to anger, um, so that's I don't know. I think that's I think that's incredible, especially mm-hmm. if you compare it to kind of the literature of other gods of that time. No one is shy about our God is mighty and He will crush everyone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. no one, no yeah. one is, yeah. uh, no one is shy about yeah. making those statements. Whereas but when here, it comes to sorry, oh, go ahead. I'm... No, yeah, when it comes to Yahweh, Israel's God, yeah. the primary uh, attribute is not. Mm-hmm. You know, vengeance and military might, not that he doesn't have that, but his primary attribute is, you know, compassion and, and mm-hmm. mercy. So,
0: yeah. But and um, on the flip side of that, too, if you compare the, the um, you know, the, the kind of self-disclosure of God to the self-disclosure or the view of the gods in uh, other pagan literature. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were right you know they have no trouble saying how strong and mighty how destructive their god is towards other people but in terms of showing mercy a lot of the texts "Oh, we don't know maybe like you see it in jonah right sure like the king says you know let's let's all put on sackcloth let's repent who knows maybe this god will repent us that's indicative of how the ancient pagan Societies view deities much right. more prone to destruction and retribution than they were to showing mercy. And right. God flips that on its head in the narrative because the prophet doesn't understand it, right? And the pagan king doesn't understand it. Right. But in the end, he's the, the, the whole city is spared because, yeah... Uh, that's one of it there's in those four chapters of Jonah is there's just a deep deep well truly
1: yeah so that's I mean that's where like I've I've learned to sit in it more one with the perspectives of people who they've never struggled with you know the violence in the Old Testament they've struggled with the grace in the New Testament Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's where it's like that's like okay so this is not to say that it's not exclusively our culture's issue, because uh, obviously we talked about Marcian, so there's other people who've struggled with this. Uh, but it's to say that not all cultures struggle with that. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Depending yeah. on depending on the situation of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one thing. And then yeah, like like we were just saying. If you compare the way Yahweh is described with other deities in the ancient Near East, it's just, I mean, it's just night and day um, yeah. in a lot of aspects and especially this one.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think, too, we, especially in in the way the New Testament u- is used to describe God, you know, merciful, loving, and he is, right? I think we've pacified um, the image of God that is found in a holistic view of, of, of the Bible, of Scripture. For sure. Um, there's, there's, um, there's a caricature of a God that is not offended Ooh. by injustice or infidelity That's because good. he's so loving. Right? Right. And so you get these, these valid questions of, well, how can a loving and just God allow all this hatred, all this suffering in the world? Sure. What, is, what does your New Testament have to say about that? Sure. Well that's just a part of the revelation of who God is right The Old sure. Testament tells us he takes justice seriously so much so that it Truly. upsets our sensibilities <laughs> yeah literally
1: <laughs> literally yeah we think that it's horrible the way that he it, how seriously he takes injustice which yeah. that's a that's a what you said there about the character of God. I mean I think that's huge for the American churches we're missing. We're like missing the I guess the God who acts on the basis of justice with violence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we're missing that. Um and I think I think a lot of our churches, especially I'm thinking specifically, you know, white evangelical churches, you know, it's kind of like a oh, you know, everything that we do it's all just going to be forgiven in the end. So it's all, you know, we don't have to be concerned about this, Mm. but I think the old Testament would, would scream and yell at that, you know, at that response, you know, it would say, no, like Yahweh, the God that you, you know, that you serve, he cares deeply about injustice and deeply about, yeah. Retribution for horrible act, human acts of violence. Mm -hmm. So that's where, yeah, I think it's something that we need. Um, and that we're missing and that I think a lot of the, a lot of the issues of I'm thinking specifically of the white church of, you know, not, I guess, owning up to our own, you know, our own mistakes and, or I guess our own violence, I should say, uh, is because we, we don't have a view of God as retributive, you know, as I guess, vengeful once again, not in the, you know, irrational way, but of, of, enacting justice you know doing Mm -hmm. justice Uh, yeah which i think yeah i think we need that desperately
0: yeah i think too it it offer like not just the grace and the faithfulness of god but i think god's retributive justice is a source of comfort is a source of solace for oppressed people right the fact that what it what was the uh, what was the um, the, the opening, one of the opening lines, right, of the Exodus narrative when God was speaking to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. Mm. God is not only a God who hears, but he acts upon what he, what he hears, what he sees. Sure. Um, and he acts to save those who are oppressed. Uh, and so I think these passages, um, certainly not all of them, but there are large swaths of the Hebrew Bible that co- really offer comfort. Um, to people uh, and assurance because they know that, you know, the Bible tells of a God who not only cares but also acts and is able to bring about justice on the behalf of those who are experiencing injustice. So how should so how should the church then approach these texts? Like, so sure. should young kids be reading the account <laughs> yeah. of the splitting of the the concubine into yeah. twelve pieces? I remember reading that as a kid, and I was shook. I was like, "What is happening?" I was I was reading one of those. Um, I was doing the uh, the Bible in a Year plan, and I sure. got to to Judges, and I was like, "Awesome, awesome! All right, here we go, here we go." Yeah. And then I got to that section, I was like, "What?"
1: Right. <laughs> Well, I think they I feel like I did read those as a kid too, but I just mm-hmm. didn't know what like, what was happening or like I mean there's a lot
0: What's a concubine? Yeah,
1: like I don't know. <laughs> okay. Like I guess I don't know. I just think I didn't understand like what was happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I guess I'm all for the for abandoning the family friend, family-friendly version of the Bible but also if it's going to scar children or whatever you know i don't think we need i mean you know we don't have to give them the rape and you know cutting up of the concubine when they're 6 or whatever um <laughs> uh, but i think i don't know to me it's like it's in there and it's it's serving a purpose you know what i mean within the mm-hmm. narrative of that book um and so i don't i mean the bible if the bible doesn't shy away from something uh, in this instance, you know, mm-hmm. one, human violence, which is real. And I think everybody can, can agree with that. Um, and then two, that, you know, God responds to human violence, um, so, sometimes with his own violence or with violence from other humans, which is, yeah. once again, messy. I, I think we we don't need to, there's no, like, easy answer, you know what I'm yeah. saying, to that. Yeah. yeah, so I guess acknowledging that that is messy But then, you know, we don't have to avoid it. I feel like that's what most of my growing up was like people trying to hush, hush the violence of the Old Testament. Because it's like, oh, that's embarrassing. You know, that's Mm -hmm. not loving. And that's where it's like what we were saying earlier. I think we miss an important aspect of God, which is how seriously he takes human actions, Mm -hmm. specifically unjust human actions, uh, which which victimize and, you know, brutalize Mm -hmm. communities and people. Um, So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's. I don't think we should shy away from it. It's definitely. I think the Old Testament needs to just be preached more. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a definitely tougher, or it seems tougher than the New Testament to preach, uh, because I think the New Testament a lot of times the letters, you know, it's, you know, it it's in the second person, so it's addressing you, so we can very easily imagine ourselves as the mm-hmm. you, which, right. although we shouldn't a lot of times, because <laughs> it's not directed to us, uh, but I think. I think teachers see that and they say, "I think I can handle this." Mm-hmm. Whereas they go to the Old Testament, you know, they see the concubine being cut up, and they're like, "I have no idea what yeah. to do with this." <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: and it's difficult too, right? Because as is common throughout all, you know, a lot of, um, a lot, if not all, of Hebrew narrative, the author doesn't clue you in on how you should feel. Or how you should think about a particular character. There are sure. certain flags that are common throughout Hebrew narrative. You know, if if a person is given a, a physical description, which is very rare, yeah. you know, keep in mind that physical description, what it's tied to, that sort of things like that are you know there are instances of that. But in large part, the author leaves it up to you to interpret well what he's writing, sure. um, and and so you, you yeah the the Bible doesn't come with a commentary. Uh, which sure. that, that this might be a hot take but i think that's one of the downfalls of the protestant reformation this idea that uh, you know every person can interpret scripture mm. for himself or herself and while that is true those interpretations aren't always good ones <laughs> right. <laughs> right right some people can interpret it really poorly and for a for a child who's reading let's just take that account in judges of the concubine what is a child supposed to make of that, sure. without the the teaching and the and the commentary that comes with you know someone sure. older in the faith who is kind of walking them through what that means, for sure um, as a whole that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, even an adult, and yeah. I think uh, a lot of times the response to that is like, oh, so you think like because I'm not you know I didn't go to school or whatever that I can't read the Bible and understand it, and my response to that is, you know if if you really do take the Bible so seriously, um, you know, as, as the word of God, then you should want to put in the work necessary to actually come to, you know, the correct conclusions about what it's saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like, and we've talked about this, I think on previous episodes, but just like you, you can't understand a news article without at least a cursory understanding of its context Mm -hmm. in the same way, the more that we know about, you know, or the more background that we have about when these things were written, you know, the, the customs of the times, that kind of why it was
0: written. Yeah.
1: Just the, the better our interpretation is going to be. Uh, and that's where uh, I say, you know, the body of Christ, if, if we are a body, we have different functions, you know, if, Mm -hmm. if Paul's right on with that. Uh, and so we, we do need people who have, you know, specific education in, you know, in these things to keep us on track. And so that's where Mm -hmm. it's not a thing about, um, you know, obviously me and you are both educated from, from seminaries or, or Christian graduate schools um, so we do have you know not to say that we're absolute experts but we do have some training in this um, and it's not to say we're better than you so we can interpret it it's just we were trained in it you wouldn't want a car mechanic doing heart surgery on you and also you wouldn't want you know a doctor trying to fix your car it's just there's different training uh, and I think we all have giftings that we can use yeah all that to say so when you read something, I would say even the layperson who doesn't have training, you can still put in the work to consult with scholars um, and and actually try to get at you know what's going on underneath. Um, so that's just a small encouragement yeah. to everyone.
0: <laughs> no, I agree, and I think like um, tricky, nuanced, gray areas like like this one. This is a chance for the church to lean into that body of christ metaphor right sure. the fact that god has given us preachers and teachers evangelists um, all for the edification for the building up for the growth of sure. his church of his bride um and so th- that shouldn't be um a-, a detraction from you know reading the bible but it should be a uh, an encouragement for us to lean in. And for those who are in a position uh, who have had, you know, the further education, theological training, that sort of thing, I mean, that's a chance to lean into that training and lean into those giftings and callings with with humility. Mm, um, absolutely. Right? Um, and so, yeah, maybe we can end with just, you know, for pastors and church leaders who are in that position, um, hopefully what you hear from us today is don't shy away from these passages, all mm. right? Because yeah. in the um, in the whole of Scripture, we we find out who God is, how He mm. has disclosed Himself to His people historically. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so we should not shy away from any aspect of that, regardless of how yeah. um, ugly it may be or how uncomfortable it might be for us.
1: Because right. it it shows an important aspect or nature of god that i think when when we are missing it has a detrimental effect on Mm -hmm. churches and congregations so that's where and
0: and the and our and a detrimental effect on our image of god as a whole right because part of him is missing sure truly
1: yeah so we have incomplete which we will always have an incomplete picture but at least we can do our best to you know at least account for all of scripture
0: Mm -hmm. hopefully hopefully that was helpful. I know that we didn't answer, you know, one hundred percent of the questions, and I think uh, I think it's because for those areas where you might be still like asking certain questions, I'd say I also don't know, and I'm trying to <laughs> yeah, for sure <laughs> to figure well, it out. Well, maybe you know, here's
1: here might be a good way to end is like so say. Uh, you know, it's a Christian or whatever, and maybe somebody who's not necessarily a Christian is like, well, how do you reconcile with Mm -hmm. all that violence and stuff in the old Testament? Maybe a good way to end is just a couple considerations that you can say, you know, this is how I can Hmm. sit with it. Number one, we said hyperbolic language. So a lot of time, not necessarily, not necessarily destroying everyone, even if it's saying that it is because that's common ancient near Eastern Mm -hmm. language. Um, The other thing I would say is it's always uh, the violence is always directed because of unjust human violence as a response. Uh, So it's never God doesn't revel in it. Um, And that's another thing is God's primary uh, primary guess nature is his compassionate, merciful nature, uh, which is in contrast to the gods of that time or the way that Mm -hmm. other societies thought of their deities. Which is wrathful, vengeful, um, you know, fits of rage, kind of hard to hard to predict mm-hmm. kind of gods. Um, so yeah, those are just some considerations. I don't know, do you have any more uh, on that? I,
0: yeah, I think uh, just one major one for me is because it's usually just a few uh, passages or a few texts that are really troubling, and it's usually the the outright divine violence, right? The, the violence that's not only commanded by, but also enacted uh, by sure. God. Um, and I get that. Those are uncomfortable passages to read, interpret, trying to apply to your life, right? <laughs> but sure. so when I, what I would suggest is seeing its part in the whole, right? Mm-hmm. So this is diving into uh, this thing called biblical theology, to, like looking at um, these themes of the Bible, um, how it runs through scripture. So uh, those those passages uh, I'm not going to lessen the uncomfortable nature of them, right but in the when you approach those, like man how what does that say about how does this add to the image of who God is, what his character is? what um, what does this account add to the narrative of scripture and its theology that's being woven through? Uh, through the text Um, and that i think will help you to um, not make 100 percent like sense of that passage but i think it'll it'll help you deal a little bit more uh, with the the uncomfortable nature and sit a little bit more comfortably maybe slightly a little bit more comfortably in that tension that the biblical author is placing you in right because if if we wanted a, um, a clean version of who God is, then those passages would not have been included For sure in, for sure. Even, the, in even the earliest manuscripts of right, Scripture, right. before the Bible was collected into what we now know as the Bible. They wouldn't have made it in the, in the editing process if that <laughs> really? was the case. Well, great. I think, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll call it there. Thank you for, for listening. Thanks for joining us uh, today.
1: Yeah, if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. Uh, It's just www.patreon.com slash questionsfromthepew. And if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, uh, and that will help others find our podcast.
0: Also, please comment and ask questions. Leave us a short voice message or a text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Reichert Zalametta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. (laughs)